You are listening to Changes Big and Small. This is Damian, your host as we explore what makes change exhilarating. Each episode, we'll meet one person who's found freedom by embracing change. Today, I'm chatting with Christina Komunian. Christina works in marketing and communications and lives in Prague. As she's gotten busier, she's made extra time in her day for meditation. Is fear holding you back? It probably is, even if it may come in different guises. Listen to this episode to learn how meditation can help you and why it's important to make time for it, especially when you're busy. You'll also see why asking for help is important and how you can make use of resources available to you, including coaching, to get unstuck. Let's get started. Hi, Christina. Hi, Damien. Thank you for having me here today. If you could start off by telling us where were you born, where do you live, and what do you do that pays the bills? I was born in Italy, in a town called Padua or Padova, which is close to Venice. And uh, what I do for a living, I work in marketing and communications uh, for a European program working on satellite navigation. And I live in Prague, happily. (laughs) I know Christina because we used to attend the same gym. Christina, you've made quite a few changes in your life recently. I think from some conversations, you were looking at ways to maybe create some space. Tell us about something exciting you've done recently. I would say that the biggest change that I went through maybe the past two years is introducing uh, meditation in my life, which is not just meditation as, as an activity, but really introducing space in your head to discover yourself, who you really are. In the past few years, I was really struggling to find balance and to find um you could even say happiness, like in the deep sense. I'm a happy person, or that's the way I see myself. But inside, there was a lot of negative talks, a lot of insecurity, a lot of fear. A couple of years ago, I started to dig deeper to see why is it you're not happy anywhere? And uh, why is it that you're not fulfilled as well? And so I just started the process of self-analysis, I would call it, to really understand who I am and what's the purpose. That's a really hard thing to do. What encouraged you to do that? I think it's just when you wake up and you realize you have everything, you could not possibly complain on anything. You really have everything you can possibly dream of. And people would do anything to have your life. And still, something is bugging you. This thing, which is like a little worm just eating up headspace, in the long run, it's really detrimental. It really, you really pay a high bill if you don't take care of it. When you did this self-analysis, what did you discover? I did the self-analysis, but I also, I mean, I think I was very helped. I really relied a lot on books and videos and self-help books. But I also start working with a coach. I start really doing meditation in a different way, which is not just silence, but really understanding or you could say being present. So when you get angry, why do you get angry? When this person upsets you, why do you, does he upset you? What did she say that triggered something? And you really have to observe all your reactions and how much space they take in your freedom and in your happiness and how much they decide your next step instead of you taking charge of however you want to react. So this is the first step. I think it's hard to do it by yourself. So if you can reach out 
if you have the level of awareness to see, okay, something is not right and I cannot keep blaming my colleague, the world, okay, there is something I need to do to change how I want to feel. And so once you realize this, you can reach out to people and there is a lot of, there are a lot of resources out there that you can use to take the first steps. How did you go about selecting a coach? There was like a meetup group uh, where there was a coach offering her services almost for free every Thursday to anybody who wanted to come along. She would have like some themes and really out of her heart just to, you know, to help people and also for her maybe to test some tools and see the reaction and see how she could help better and understand the people. I started going to these meetings and it was really interesting. Everybody sort of vomit out (laughs) their issues. But then I could see that she could really try to help you put order. It was not just a mess. It's just there are different issues. They're linked. They're not linked. They're coming from here. They're coming from there. Then you realize, okay, that's true, actually. Maybe this is just, it's nothing to do with my colleague. It's me being fearful. It's nothing to do with uh, the world today. It's me trying to find excuses for not taking action. So you start taking responsibility. And I just like it the way it was structured. And um, there were like some very low moments because you realize some, you feel sometimes powerless, even though we all have power to change. I realized, okay, I cannot do this by myself and I cannot really do this in a sort of random way, any sort of structure. And, and I just need to, even you could say to have somebody that you need to be accountable to, maybe once a month, maybe one, once every two months, but you need to report and look back. So what have you done of the tools that you had available? Did you use them or did you just get lost? And why did that happen? And, and you work on this together. It's a bit like this podcast that you tell the story and you discover your story as well. <laughs> so you, you have your story, but you have never read it and nobody has ever told it to you. So when you have the opportunity to discover yourself, you really discover it for yourself too. That's something to start with. If you don't want to take the first like one-to-one session or for any reason you're afraid, just to see maybe in a group environment can be a bit more relaxed. This is very interesting to me because actually over the past two weeks, I've been having some discovery sessions with some coaches. And this is more from a professional standpoint, but in talking to each of three different coaches, one of the things I've been trying to find out is what does coaching look like from their perspective and what can I expect if we work together? From all three of them, it really sounds like what they do is to ask the questions that will help me clarify what I want, what's missing, where I'm headed. Some people focus more on goal setting. Some people focus more on milestones. But it sounds like although there might be some main methods that coaches use, there are also different tools. In this coaching process that you've been involved in, what's something that has surprised you? There are many things. And and indeed, as you're saying, uh, you were saying that there are different tools and you need to explore what works for you. And it can be that in a certain phase, you need one kind of tool and in another one is a different tool. For example, what really helps me is this questioning. Having somebody to ask questions which I would never dare to ask myself, even though I know I would need to (laughs) reply to them. And when you're in the session, it really has to come out. You have that reply already in you. It's just that it's really hard to pull it out and show it to the world and acknowledge that that is the reply. And maybe you're just not ready yourself to face that this is the reply to that specific question. Or maybe this is exactly what I want from my my life. I've never realized it. For sure, questions are essentials. 
but um, even like visualizing, that's also a very important tool. So what do you, how do you see yourself in five years? Is it in the same place where you are right now? Is it the same colors? Is it the same emotions? Do you see more people in your life, more than what you have now or different people? You really understand that whatever you see in the future, it, you need to put the seeds down now because they're not going to show up out of the blue in many ways. You really need to take uh, responsibility for the decisions that will take you there. That's very hard to take, very hard, because it's just so much more comfortable to have like a victim role. It's just so much more comfortable. And it's like, okay, this doesn't happen to my life. or This doesn't come. This will never come. And it's just because you are actually preventing it from happening <laughs> because it just scares you. So that's what you learn from coaching, that you have so much power if you just make that statement of what you want and go for it. That can almost be a bit scary because that's a lot of responsibility, right? If you've got all the power, then you're the one standing in your own way. I think about the fact that I really enjoy going to the gym and I enjoy group classes. I enjoy working out at home, but I push myself or rather maybe the coach pushes me a bit more if I'm working out at the gym. When I was talking to the three coaches that I had meetings with last week, one of the things that I told them is that I'm very capable, but sometimes I need to be challenged. What has scared you along this journey? Maybe that's too big, but <laughs> if you wouldn't mind sharing some of your fears with us. Uh, I think it's um, what has scared me and what is still scaring me. I don't think this is a, I'm over at all. And maybe it will never be over as well. I've come to accept this. That is, there is a learning process, uh, which is also about yourself. And there is also evolution. Yeah, Like we, we change our mind, we change our goals, we change perspective. We, we meet people that help us change. So it, we don't need to be too rigid or too prescriptive, I would say, about this. So it's not just one and done. There are actually uh, challenges that you continuously or fears that you continuously encounter. I would say that the biggest one is uh, not trusting. I never thought that this was my issue first. I discovered it maybe a couple of years ago. And is this not trusting other people or yourself or both? It's both, which means going to a meeting and not trusting the people around you or even looking at yourself in the mirror and not trusting your decisions or maybe knowing that your weaknesses and not trusting that you'll be strong enough to cope with situations. Life goes on. It's never the end of the world. So making things bigger than they are or more catastrophic or just taking a sort of fear step is like not trusting. And one thing which I also discovered, which is related to fear, which I saw, okay, this is also my problem, is when you're afraid to ask because you don't trust you will get it. So you're not going to ask it not to embarrass yourself. And you also don't trust that you have the right to have it. If I recall correctly, you've had to face that issue head on, right? There are some things you've had to ask for and you've discovered that you can actually get them if you ask. This is a discovery I made last year and it's very interesting because it's also changed a lot my life. Maybe I gave myself just too much importance and that is also fear and ego, welcome. Thinking I'm so important in my job, you know, I, nobody can live without me, which is of course not true. <laughs> And I never really dared to ask for longer leave or more time for myself, more space. Until one point, I just reached the limit. And through a, a very, a very curious sequence of events, I asked for a two months paid leave to my boss. I was surprised that she wouldn't even complain or saying, oh, come on, two months, are you kidding? No, she just said, sure, take it. 
And I was like, why didn't I do it before? Why don't I ask regularly for things that I think I should get or I deserve? At least I should have the courage to ask for them and then trust enough that this will be given to me. But because I never really felt entitled to it, I never dared asking. And of course, if you don't ask, guess what? You will never get it, that is for sure. This just uh, gave me the opportunity to take two months leave and go to India, something that was on my list for so many years and just something that it always seemed so close and every time something would come up and it was always job related. And of course, this was also fear. Oh, come on, are you going to India for two months alone? Oh, 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 just be careful, you know, and that kind of conversation. And how do I tell my mom? <laughs> how to tell the world that I want to do this and not look crazy and what will they think? It sounds like when you actually got the courage to ask for two months leave, you were really at the end of your patience, of your energy, almost like a burnout. Is that fair? I think burnout would be like a bit too much, but I was completely overwhelmed. Yes, yes. And that's also very interesting. Instead of asking, I would have rather quit my job. You know, I could have totally missed the opportunity. If I hadn't asked, then, you know, I would have maybe quit my job and then jump into the next job. Some people may be listening to this and think, there is something special about you. <laughs> this couldn't happen to me. If I went to ask my boss, I would get fired. What would you say to this kind of response? I would say... Um, Look at yourself and really understand your value. If you're bringing value to your company, why would they get rid of you? Why wouldn't they give you the time that you're asking for it? If they trust you and you trust yourself, how can things possibly go wrong? And anyhow, what, when did they say no? Fine, you know that you don't have the negotiation power. So you were prepared to quit if you did not get those two months off. How did you prepare for such a big decision? I was helped by the universe again, I think. I was offered a job, a different job. So if I didn't get the two months off, I would have taken the other job and allow some space in between the two jobs. This was a plan B. Now I can say I'm happy that things went the way they went because it's easy to say, oh, I'll take two months off in between jobs. Oof, I'm not sure. <laughs> It's also very hard to ask your new employer, uh, can you just wait two months when I come back from India? Because, of course, if they're looking for people, they're looking for people right now, not in two months. It was just a, a very lucky outcome for me because it really gave me the space in my mind as well to say, okay, I can really switch off. I, I know I can go back to the job. I know I have a team that supports me there when I leave and that will welcome me back when I come back. But I think we should all... Give it a try at least. At least ask for it. And worst case scenario, they tell you no. So what I'm hearing is to consider what you really want and what you're willing to do to achieve that. Whether that means switching jobs, asking for it, making plans for it. It really might depend on your circumstances or your situation. But if you don't even entertain that it's possible, then everything continues without any change. I remember a story from you about when you were, I don't know, maybe late teens, early 20s, and you went off to London. Share that story with us because I think it goes to show your attitude. And maybe you lost it at some point, but you did have that quest for adventure or that interest in following your dreams. Now that I look back, this sounds like, oh my God. 
I don't even know where I found the courage at the time. Maybe I was just uh, naive or I didn't think about any obstacles at all. So when I finished school and I was uh, 19 or almost 19, I went to England after the summer. I was looking for a job, but I also was not really ready to settle down in any jobs that you would get at 19, which would be normally a cashier job. And I just told my mom, you know, I really want to go to London. And I had been there the summer before for like uh, maybe a month. And my mom said, yeah, but what are you going to do there? <laughs> and of course, I had no, no, no reply for that. I knew nobody there. And my English was really, really rough, really coming from school and uh, really not ready to have any normal conversation or interview for a job. And I just told my mom, you know, I just feel I need to go because I really don't want to stay here right now in my life. And my mom just say, OK, go. She was also very courageous because this was the mid 90s. So imagine there was like no internet, no mobile phones. None of my family could speak English, really. My English was so shaky and shy. <laughs> I don't even think I had a credit card at that time. I just left with a one-way ticket to London and maybe 200 euros in my pocket, which was not allowed to survive in London, not even at that time. And so I got to London and of course, really no plan. I mean, the plan, of course, was just get any job, any kind of job you can get as fast as possible because I knew I could survive maybe three weeks. And the truth is that I sort of went to a hostel, um, booked a, a bed for a week. The day after, I just went around looking for a job here and there, in, in hotels, restaurants, McDonald's. In a matter of 24 hours, I had a job as a receptionist in a small hotel run by an Irish family <laughs> in central London, and they were offering me also room and board. And they also were telling me that I could do just uh, the afternoon shift so that I could go to school to learn English in the morning. Within one day, I had like a job. I had a room to live in, all the security that I need. And I, I, I mean, I was super lucky, of course. Now that I look back, I said, oh my God, you are so lucky because you could hear so many stories after that, how, many, how much people struggled to find a room, to find a job with which you could actually live because that was not obvious in London because you could have also worked many, many hours and still not make it to the end of the month. And the fact that I could go to school in the morning to learn English, wow. After a couple of days, I just called my mom and said, Mom, oh, we have it. <laughs> I have it. So you don't need to worry about anything. I have a job. I have somewhere to sleep. And, you know, they're nice and they treat me well and I can go to school in the morning. And she was also excited as well, but of course, also very scared. She really could not even imagine London or even imagine speaking a different language or your daughter somewhere, God knows how many hours away from you. And that was really totally out of her reach and understanding. So now that I look back, I say, oh my God, she was so brave. <laughs> she was even braver than I was because she really also took a big risk. I can only imagine my grandma telling her, are you letting her alone? Going to, you know, she doesn't, uh, I can only imagine what she went through for me in that sense. Are the other people in your family also adventurous? I would say normally no, especially if I look at my extended family, like my relatives, my cousins, me and my sister are the only one who have been traveling and living abroad. I'm talking about like maybe 40 cousins altogether, <laughs> just to give you an idea. Actually, my sister lives in the UK and has been living there for almost 20 years. So she's uh, stable there. She hasn't really been uh, traveling as much as I did and uh, changing jobs as much as I did and being more adventurous. Uh, she's more like, stable and she has a position in the university. She's been working on for so many years and now is consolidated. 
and she has her own family and she's much more stable than I am in that sense. She looked up at me when I was, you know, uh, young and look at me and see how the decision I took and how much they were not the standard kind of life that people would have at that time. Like in the mid 90s, you wouldn't really find that many Italian girls leaving everything and moving somewhere else. And she was inspired by this, I would say, yes. You talk about your sister being stable. Is stability something that's important to you? Do you see your life as being unstable? That's a good question. <laughs> it's tricky though. Uh, I think stability meaning like staying in the same country. Uh, yeah, I don't need that. Uh, I like testing new grounds. I like uh, meeting new people and discovering new places. So this is more maybe roots than stability. And I think stability is more like an inner value that you have for yourself. It's really about who you are. You can be anywhere and still feel stable. So it sounds like there are kind of two definitions of stability. There's the stability that your sister experiences because she's kind of rooted in one place, but that you don't feel that's missing from your life because you're true to yourself and you feel grounded in yourself. She's nodding. (laughs) Tell us about your meditation practice because you mentioned how important it is in your life. Meditation is also a journey. It's something that you learn every time. It's never really the same. And it's also something that tests you in many ways. You test yourself through meditation and to see, okay, where you are with your head. You know, when you think you're in peace, but you're not. You know, where are you when there is silence around you or where you cannot talk to anybody? Let me give you a concrete example. In the past three months, due to several changes within the the company I'm working for, uh, I have experienced uh, an overload of work many more hours than I used to work, much more responsibility and very little resources to cope with it. In these three months, I doubled up my meditation time Mm -hmm. to cope. If I think about it, I know I could have just drunk a bottle of wine or stuffed my face with ice cream or start smoking. I don't know that people have different tools to that help them process a certain stress and pressure and uh, which also become habit at the end. I really look at myself and say, thank God I have this tool with me now. Because if I had to start now, I would be lost because it takes time to build it up. I'm okay with waking up at five just to allow myself at least an hour of meditation in the morning or half an hour in the evening before going to bed to process and really clean up my mind. The the kind of meditation I do, it really also depends whatever I need. I try not to be dogmatic about this. There is no right and wrong. Sometimes I need guidance. I will listen to a guided meditation and go along. Uh, Sometimes I just need silence and I can do it by myself. And I know that I just sit down and I do one hour of silent meditation. It really, it really depends on the day, whatever works. It's very interesting for me to hear you say that you got busy and so you spent more time meditating because the excuse that many people use, including myself, I don't really use this excuse anymore because I know I'm not making time for it. But people often say, but I don't have time to meditate. How would you respond to that? Two responses. And of course, this is like my personal experience. If your head is busy 24-7 because you cannot switch off, which is what was happening to me, then you're not going to be able to sleep or the quality of your sleep is going to be really poor. And even when you work, you're so overwhelmed because there's just too much going on in your head that you're not going to be as productive as you could. So at the end, that hour that you spend in the morning, you recuperate it during the day or during the night as well. Because I also don't need to sleep much because of meditation. I can sleep six hours and it's plenty. So 
I think it's an investment. But you need to be patient in the beginning to build it up because it will not come <laughs> to you so easily, especially yeah, if you really are not used to it and you're really new to the practice. Your job can be very busy at times. What other strategies do you have for practicing good mental health, for good sleep hygiene, or all of those other things that might be important to you? Something I mentioned already is asking for help or, or asking in general. And I used to be the kind of person that wanted to do everything by herself. And uh, thinking, oh, just because I know how to do it faster and better. And, uh, and that kind of talk, and which I know many people find themselves, you know, repeating the same sentences on and on. We just need to stop calling this, um, uh, can be self-sufficient. We have to call it either fear or big ego. There is nothing else. Because we are surrounded by people, or we should be surrounded by people that we can trust. Or that we can have a, an honest conversation with and with whom we can feel free to ask for help and you can delegate tasks and you can work together and you can make them grow. You don't have to give just tasks, maybe start giving responsibilities as well. So they don't need to come back to you every five minutes reporting. This is one example. But sometimes, okay, I have that moment when I feel a victim of all this work coming to me and I feel so down, but if you keep it inside, it's just yours. And maybe you just need to call a colleague and have a coffee and just talk it through or just Get it out. And normally once you share it, it's half the weight. I think this asking for help is really the biggest one though, because there are always people who want to help. But you really have to trust the people that want to help you. If you think, oh, I'm not going to ask for help, otherwise they're going to think, I cannot do my job or I'm not good enough. And that kind of conversation that we always have with ourselves. We are just judging others through our own lens without giving them the opportunity. Do you find that some of the habits from work also play out in your personal life. I'm curious how your coaching and your meditation practice have affected or changed your personal life as well. And they have changed both. It would be hard to think that they can change just one aspect because then I really are developing some sort of <laughs> split personality syndrome or I don't know how you would call it. You see some people who have a, a certain mask at work and there are different people outside. They're the most sociable outside. You can have all the drinks you want and tell jokes. And then when it gets into the office, their face paralyzes as if there were two conflicting personalities. I don't know if this is healthy or it's just a way to protect oneself. I mean, there can be many reasons for that. But I think we should be able to live in a place where we can be consistent with our own values and who we are. So yes, I start asking for help at work. I start asking for more for help and share with friends. I'm not afraid of saying, okay, you know, right now I'm really in a bad place. There is nothing wrong to say that, whether you're at work or you're like having a drink with your friends or even with people you don't know. This is where you are right now. That's it. You know, honor where you are. Are they going to judge you? Okay, that's fine. That's also not your problem. <laughs> but as long as you are consistent with who you are across all the arenas or across the different uh, roles in life, you don't really have anything to fear. Sometimes... Over time, we haven't kind of cultivated those relationships where we feel like we can ask for help. What did you have to change in terms of your personal relationships to be able to ask for help more clearly than you may have done before? Probably maybe something that is coming from my past and also from, from the way I've been brought up. Because I was brought up in a family where self-sufficiency was a big thing. You need to be able to do things by yourself and be a grown-up even if you're not. You know, Don't ask for help because people will think this and that of you. 
and you can do everything and all this conversation. And I could see also my parents never asking for help and really trying by themselves to do everything. And of course, this puts a lot of pressure. Also because you, you build this persona in front of the others and people don't expect you to ever ask for help. And they also don't, will not ask for help to you because that would just create a sort of disbalance here. Yeah? Because every time you ask for help, it means that you allow the other to do the same when it's their turn. And that's how you create this mutual uh, trust between people. We're coming up on time. And thank you so much for chatting with me today. Before we end, maybe you've already said it, but even in the interest of clarifying, what's the advice you could have for somebody who's feeling a bit stuck? They know that they're not happy with the way things are, but they're not sure how to shake themselves out of it. If you wake up and you're not happy, if you go to bed and you're not happy of the conversation you have in your head about what happened during the day, and this goes on and on, that's already an alarm, and that's when you need to ask for help. How you do that? If you have understood enough what's the issue, like you have reached a level of awareness that, you know, okay, this is where I'm stuck. This is what's not going right. If you sort of able to identify this by yourself, that's good. Sometimes you're just in a mess. You have no idea where this is coming from. And maybe it's multiple factors as well. Try something. It doesn't mean that there will be a solution. Maybe you can exclude that after this is not at all the solution. But at least you have crossed something out of that list. And then you're ready to take the next step. There are things that you need external support because you need uh, different eyes because you're already too much into it. You're too close. You just see that tree and you don't see the forest and you need somebody just to take you a bit out to make you see things the way they are and the way they are played in your head. And don't be afraid and don't be ashamed, you know, because sometimes people are also ashamed. Oh, is this mental health? Am I depressed? Does it matter the label that you put to it? Are you depressed? Maybe, maybe yes, maybe not. And so what? Acknowledge that you have a problem or that you're like not happy of where you are and take action. If you're going to a psychologist or if you're going to a coach or if you're going to a yoga class or to a psychiatrist, you are on the way for a solution. And that's all that matters. I am going to ask you one more question just because I love books. Is there any book that you might recommend? I have two books, actually. The first one, just because I talked about it so much and it, for me it was really revealing is Amanda Palmer's The Art of Asking. It's amazing. I loved it. (laughs) And the second book, which uh, I don't even know how I came across this book, but I knew that I wanted to read it many years ago and and I didn't read it. But this year, for some reason, I just made it. I don't remember the author, but it's called The Things They Carried. And it's about the soldiers that went to Vietnam and the things they carried, which is super interesting because people do not understand What's the weight these people carry? Of course, they carry 20 kilos of armor and guns and medicines and food and drink and all sorts of protection. But the heaviest weights are all inside. And most of it is fear, which you may think is obvious because, come on, these people, they are like <laughs> facing death every other second. But not only were they, f- they had fear, the biggest thing was shame of showing fear. And this was the heaviest. They never had to lose face in front of a threat. Many of the things they did was to avoid shame. One of the soldiers, he said, you know, I enrolled just to avoid the shame with my family. And now people call me hero. And I was just too scared to face my family. And that's why I went to Vietnam, which is not really like the most glorious reason. And I was like, wow. And it's like, how many times do we 
take decision, not because we want that thing to happen to us, but just because we are fearful or ashamed of that decision. Or And these people were risking their life just to avoid being shamed or being judged by society. That's very powerful. I have the Amanda Palmer book on my shelf, but I'll definitely check out the other book. And actually, there is one book that you might enjoy. It's called The Untethered Soul. Okay, it's on your list. I'll add the links to those books and the authors in the show notes as well. Thank you so much for chatting with me today. Thank you, Damien, for having me here today. Christina admits that she has a website and a Twitter account, but she doesn't spend much time on either of them. She does write on Medium, though, and you can connect with her there. Go read her stuff. She recently had a great post about New Year's resolutions. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Changes Big and Small. For more great episodes like this one, don't forget to hit subscribe in your favorite podcast app. This will let you automatically download new episodes every week. As always, I leave you with this. Go ahead, take the smallest step that you can today to get closer to your dreams. Have a great day, everybody.